Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Doctrine, Dogma, and Davide podcast. My name is Davide Genoese Derpi, and I am your host. And today, we are pleased to be joined by special guest Brian Schnorr. Brian, say hello, hello. to all the, the dozens of people mm-hmm. that may or may not even be listening as yeah. they drive to work. Hello, Davide's family. <laughs> so... Um, I want to start off with just sort of like what your background is, uh, a little bit about uh, about your faith journey, and then of course we, we can talk a little bit about the the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is of course abortion. So you are currently a doctoral candidate mm-hmm. at George Washington University, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So so, so what are you doing with them? So um, basically, I'm working on my PhD. I'm working on my dissertation. Um, yeah, I, I graduated from George a. Mason University, which is how I know Davide. Uh, we were roommates for a while. Um, so I graduated with a bachelor's in bioengineering. And so now I'm working on a doctoral, doctorate in biomedical engineering at George Washington University. Basically, I'm focusing on cancer research and specifically metastatic cascade and developing a way to reduce metastasis as well as some other drug delivery applications i don't want to go too much into it because um yeah, yeah so, some, so, of, some, some of that jargon was starting to go over my head and I've, and I've heard you talk about this a thousand times before so that's also fair and also of course you know when you're publishing stuff you don't want to necessarily share too much of it over a platform where you can yeah you know, <laughs> over a platform where, where it can what be disseminated ahead of your actual publication. Ah, I see. So I'm publishing this work. So when I'm talking to you, I talk about <laughs> a little bit more in detail. But when I'm, you know, I see. So when you're publishing something, so, I so you're saying it. that like I, I could leak like classified information no, from your laboratory, but well, sensitive information then. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, if I'm I'm trying to publish my research, so if I talk too much about my research in your platform, someone else could get a similar idea and. I publish see. and, and, and steal your steal your research. Yeah, it lessens the impact of of your research, if nothing else. Okay, you know, not fair that enough. I think that someone could catch up to us necessarily, <laughs> but All right, you guys are so just far beyond everybody else. No, I just <laughs> you know what I mean. And you're good. Also, my PI might kill me. <laughs> I'm joking. My PI is lovely and wonderful. It would never hurt. <laughs> Don't worry, she's probably not gonna. That's this. fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, tell me. Were, have you always been Catholic? Like, and I, I realize it's a little bit weird for me to be asking you these questions because we've had these conversations. But, you know, I need I, to be a good host. So. I understand. I understand. Um, so I was I'm cradle Catholic in that regard and that, you know, my parents raised me Catholic, which I'm so grateful for. Um, definitely uh, middle school, early high school had that kind of phase that I think a lot of us go through where some doubt and some questioning Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to a certain, I mean, it can be very hard to be faithful, that especially with the society the way it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, um, definitely is a is a challenge, and I definitely went through that. But um, really, I, I credit a lot to my youth ministry, to the influence of my sister um, when she started going to the high school youth ministry and bringing along her bratty younger brother. Uh, <laughs> To really um, helping me stay in the faith in that and really delve deeper into my faith rather than just mm-hmm. being that kind of surface level level pro forma, right? Yeah, you know, go to mass on Sundays if we can make it type of. I mean, it, it's really great that you were able to find like a, a strong youth ministry program, uh, yeah. especially like uh, you, what what diocese did you grow up in? Because you were in Indiana, Ooh, West right? Lafayette, West Lafayette. Okay. Yep. Because like, I, I don't know that much about the diocese. I, I know that you have spoken relatively highly of the diocese. Yeah. It, it can't be nearly as great as the Diocese of Arlington. Um, no it, it's just It's simply not possible. So You can't, you can't have me talk against my you know, <laughs> home diocese, man. You, you, are, you are an Arlington diocese man now. This is... You, this is <laughs> you are literally fair. wearing an Arlington diocese yes. shirt. Yes, yes. I, I've got my... Arlington Diocese mug here. Oh, very nice. I have that at home. <laughs> I know. Mm. Anyway, but yes. Arlington Diocese is wonderful. Love Bishop Burbage. Yeah, love the diocese. Of course. So you, you went to youth ministry, and they helped you sort of 
delve deeper into yeah. your faith. Um, and then, so, yeah, you know, and then of course coming to Mason, there is a wonderful Catholic community at Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, the CCM Catholic Campus Ministry at Mason is fantastic. At the time, um, John Moore was at the helm. Um, oh and, yeah, he he left now. Yeah, now he's a full time youth apostle. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was always a full time youth apostle. You know what I mean? Now he's, it, it's so crazy that like John Moore's got because like he was there for what twenty years. Ooh, I, it was it was his only job out of college. Like he's been so, there so like, since he graduated college. So like more like thirty or thirty five oh, years. Old. He's younger than he looks. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Like, so, sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that, anyway, that, I mean, that, that, that's still crazy because like I remember I, I spoke to him a, a couple years ago. And I, I talked to him. This was shortly after Father Serbi left, and uh, Father. Let me see. Who is it now? It's Father Farrell, right? Uh, y- yeah. Yeah. So Father Farrell's great, by the way. Um, I shouldn't get to know him more. I yeah, you should. He, he went to the Pontifical North American College in Rome. Oh, that's cool. So like, you, oh. you, you know, he's smart. <laughs> you know? True. But I, I was talking to John Moore shortly after Father Farrell came, and I was just like, man, it, it really just seems like chaplains come and go, but John Moore is forever, you know? Mm. But yeah, he's, he's moved into the, the directorship for Youth Apostles, which is... Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, which is great, and we're lucky to have him. Yeah, you, he's the one that brought you into Youth Apostles, right? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of definitely John Moore. Um, oh, I would say... Peter Nguyen was probably involved, mm-hmm. was a big factor in that. He drove me there. Um, you know, there was a lot of Youth Apostle guys. Right, yeah. There. So for, for those of you who don't know, what is what is the Youth Apostles? We, we wow, we totally went off on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah. So Youth Apostles is, the technical term is a mixed reli- religious association of the faithful. So it's a, a religious community where we have... Um, Priests, lay brothers, and of course, consecrated. So I'm a lay brother, I'm not consecrated, and not going to be a priest unless God slaps me across the back <laughs> of the head and says you're getting it all wrong. But mm-hmm. that's topic for another time. Um, so yeah, but uh, so we have a we have a community house, and we um, you know have lived by some of the apostolic um, the uh, evangelical conventions. If I'm remembering the term right, wow, I'm totally spacing. <laughs> Put a microphone in front of me and suddenly I get all dumb. Anyway. It, it's not as bad as when I, I tried to record show, record shows alone. Um, it, it's so much harder to talk in front of a camera than it is to talk to a person. Yes. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but really, the focus of the community is serving the youth. So mm-hmm. we're involved in a lot of youth ministries. Um, obviously, John Moore, for a long time, his dedicated youth ministry was the camp- Catholic campus ministry right. in Mason. Yeah. Um, throughout Arlington Diocese, there's a lot of um, different high school youth ministries that are run by youth apostles or have youth apostle volunteers. Right, Like, yeah. I'm I'm over at uh, St. Anthony being a volunteer at their youth ministry. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I, I used to be yeah. with you. <laughs> I, at, I'm, uh, again, I'm Anthony. talking to the... I am aware. Potentially multiple (laughs) digits of viewers. (laughs) Who knows? This podcast is going to get big, Brian, all right? I'm going to have dozens of people listening. Just you wait. (laughs) So, it it sounds like, you know, youth ministry has been, like, a really big part of your life. Both growing up and, and also, you know, later on being a youth minister. And yet, like, I I think you've probably heard the statistic that, like, 80% of kids who go to college lose their faith in, in college. So what do you think, like, do, do you think that that is uh, an issue of, like, youth ministry programs in the United States? Um, do you think that it's just, you know, the yes. secular culture is just too pervasive, there's nothing we can do? Like, what what sort of the your take on this as, as a youth apostle, you know? So for the record, not an expert... <laughs> Not a psychologist, that's not my field. (laughs) But, from my experience, one, I'd be curious to see what the rate then is after college, people coming back into the faith. Mm -hmm. Would be a curious thing, and I don't know that statistic. I I don't have that off the top of Um, my head either. But, I mean, yes, yes, and yes. Um, Yes, it's a problem of our our youth ministries across the country. Like, 
to be honest with you, a lot of places kind of take it for granted. Youth ministry isn't a priority in a lot of places, even though mm-hmm. it really should be foundational. Yeah. In my opinion, to, you know, you got the sacraments, <laughs> obviously. Right, yeah. The highest, you know, the Eucharist source and summit of the faith. And you got charity and, you know, good works also very right, important. Yeah. But youth ministry should be right up there with, you know, your, right, your yeah. charities and your good works because if we can't do a spiritual work of mercy and actually look after the souls of our kids, like... Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's really wonderful that, like, Bishop Burbich, I think, is yeah, very much job. on that page. Like, one of, like, his primary things is, like, making sure that anybody who wants to attend a Catholic school can do that. Uh, he's invested a lot in, like, Catholic education and right. youth ministry and campus ministry programs yes, uh, to true. sort of, like, stop that bleeding. And I, I think yeah. that he's done... A, a pretty good job of it. The, yeah, there's he, only so much a bishop can do. This is true. You know, like he does a great job, and I think overall Arlington Diocese does a great job. And if you notice, a lot of priests coming out of Arlington Diocese. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had we're we doing had, very well. We had eight, relatively eight speaking priests ordained this past <laughs> summer. Yeah, eight priests. It was it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not saying that. You know, I'm. Not saying that in any given diocese there aren't people working very well and very hard and there aren't great programs there. But, I mean, I do think that there is a problem of limited resources and priorities and we need to recognize everywhere in the church that youth ministry has to be one of the top priorities. Yeah, I I think that, honestly, I think that one of the biggest problems when it comes to, like, youth and and catechesis and things is that shortly after the the Second Vatican Council, and we're we're not going to go... Too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's, today. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hole you might dig yourself. But, there. but I think that uh, after the Second Vatican Council, there was uh, so, sort of a, a dropping of the ball a little bit as far as mm. like really faithfully teaching the the truths of the Catholic faith. That there was sort of uh, a, a de-emphasis uh, of teaching the the Catholic faith in a really strong way, and and more of an emphasis on interreligious dialogue. Which, of course, interreligious dialogue is fine and good. But what I've found is that... Depends on the dialogue, but yeah. I'm, fair, fair. So, you know, the, the catechism states that parents are the first catechists, right? Yeah. And, and what I've found in, in, like, doing catechesis and sponsoring young people and, and doing this youth ministry is, unfortunately, m- many parents now are... Right. Not, are not great are, are not super. They're not super well catechized themselves. That's fair. And so they can't, like, properly catechize their children... And so it's basically left to the religious education classes, which when you've got, you know, 30 students and one teacher, you can't necessarily give the uh, the, the students the sort of attention and, and um, instruction that they would really need to sort of take the faith to heart and make it their own. I do also think that there is just an overall societal trend of parents kind of ceding responsibility mm. for any form of education. And I think, unfortunately, I think that does re- bleed over into catechesis in that, like, yeah. you know. It, it is starting to kick back, though. Like, especially after COVID, like, a, a bunch, many more people are homeschooling, mm. and well, a lot more people are, are choosing, like, Catholic schools and private schools and stuff. So I, I think that there is a, a bit of a reversal of that trend of right. parents taking not, a more active role. In I'm not saying anything education. against, like, public school. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, you know, homeschool versus public school. I'm mm-hmm. more meaning, you know, I feel like at some point we started to, parents started to rely on public education for more than right. science writing and, like, you know, yeah, those yeah. things that, you know, we... I don't expect a parent to be able to teach, you know, every kid calculus. You know? Right, yeah. Not expected, or even algebra. Parents aren't exp- shouldn't be expected to be able to teach well, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But I think at a certain point, we also kind of gave up on parents teaching civics, uh, moral guidance, um, you know, health, like right, how to yeah. keep a checkbook, home economics, you know, kind of things that are kind of something that parents should be doing every day and should be talking with their kids about right, on occasion. Yeah. And, you know, like, those kind of basic life skills that, you know, I I don't know, I feel like in, in, in my household was a lot from the parents. 
Mm-hmm. You know, secondarily from school, you know, obviously government and things like that taught civics, but that's not where I got my government <laughs> values from. Right. You yeah. know, that's not where I got my, you know, what it means to be American from. School. Right. Yeah. Like that should, should, and that shouldn't be. But I feel like we're getting way off topic here because I like to ramble. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's good. Know, like, and I think that that bleeds over into catechesis. That the idea that oh, there is an RE program, so right that it's their job to teach their the job faith. To I, teach I don't it. have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we want to go off on a tangent, it could also be related to the fact that people don't tend to be comfortable talking about religious topics mm. anymore in public that's so if also you don't true talk about it a lot you don't really have a lot of confidence in teaching it that, that's also true and, and that's another thing i was going to say is that like there is, there are a limited number of people who are like really competent in in teaching mm. uh theology uh, especially with the shortage of priests that we have nowadays in, in most dioceses and like you know, I, I talk up the Arlington Diocese a lot. Like, we, we are very blessed to have the number of priests that we do. But it's not like we're swimming in priests. That's true. You know? That's true. And so the, there is the, there are a limited number of people who can, like, really uh, faithfully teach. Um, or not so much even, like, faithfully teach as much as really... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Like, can teach it in, in very in a lot of detail and effectively. With, uh, effectively. Thank you. I don't know why I lost that word. You're good. Like <laughs> I said, sitting in front of a camera on a microphone suddenly it gets all complicated. It's not like I lose. I, I don't lose my train of thought when we're just talking That's normally. <laughs> like, you can't blame everything on the camera, Brian. That's fair. That's fair. So, I think that like I I remember I was sponsoring this this one girl. And she uh, she was asking me questions about like things that her religious education teacher said that like weren't quite that they weren't wrong, but it was just like that it was missing some nuance that I had to sort of clarify for her. And I think that now if you're in a classroom, you you don't necessarily nuance is hard, right? (laughs) Nuance is hard, which is why I, I think that young people need like sort of individual mentors who they can like talk to about theology and sort of like get those answers i remember i was talking to a few of the confirmation kids at st john's and you know it it was clear that like they didn't want to be there that they were just going to those youth ministry events that they had to attend in order to get confirmed and so like i asked them why they wanted to be confirmed and it was because their parents wanted it Mm. that they didn't really care and i asked them well do you believe what the church teaches do you believe that jesus christ rose from the dead for instance and they were both just like yeah of course we do and I asked, well, why? How do you know that, that that's true? How do you know that, you know, Hinduism isn't true, Buddhism, Islam, like all, all of these other religions, like how do you know that the Catholic faith is true mm. and the others are false? And it was just like, I don't. <laughs> and I was just like, so wh- why do you say you believe what the church teaches if you, you don't know that it's true? And he said, because it's just how I was raised. You know, and, That's and so a poor the, the, right that there's there's no like actual undergirding to the to the actual theology. There, there's no like de- sort of deeper understanding of like you know why do we believe? And and I think that that's one of the sort of shortcomings of catechesis in the United States is that there's there's honestly there's not enough apologetics. You know, and I, I realize I I have a love for apologetics, yes. and so I'm I'm biased, but quite frankly. When kids go out into the world and they meet uh, a secular world that is actively hostile mm. to their faith, and they they have that they will get bombarded with these questions, you know, if they don't know how to answer them or if they don't even have uh, a strong impression that the answers are out there, they're just going to drop their faith mm. because the, the, there was no foundation in the first place. I, I you know? mean, yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. Um... I do want to point out that not everyone has as rational, logical <laughs> mind as you. That is true. So for some people, encounter can be a, a that undercurrent. Yeah, I'm not, absolutely. I'm, it needs to be both. Don't get me right, wrong. Right? Yeah. The, I'm not the, saying, but I'm just saying. You know. Like I, I'm not one of those guys that like you know throws shade at like praise and worship or, or something like sure. that. I, I think that that's incredibly valuable, especially for young people. I think that yeah. young people really resonate to that sort of praise and worship, even if it's not my personal cup of tea. Sure. You know, I, I think it, it's incredibly important and, uh, and, and it is one, a wonderful expression 
of uh, of, of like love and Agreed. fidelity to the Lord. It it does uh, it, it does make me chuckle a little bit when some sort of like uh, very traditional people like basically trash uh, praise and worship sometimes because it's just like ah oh, it's like it's too Protestant. I'm just like of of all of the errors of Protestantism. Their propensity for singing wishy-washy songs about Jesus, it's not one of them, you know? Well, I, I do think you need to choose songs carefully because I feel like well, yeah. some of them are, you know, insert love song about a girl. <laughs> you know, the old yeah. joke. It's, it's <laughs> failed artists trying to release love songs and they're just like, oh, if I put Jesus in there, then... <laughs> right, yeah. I, I think that there's also, like, some praise... Uh, some praise and worship songs that I've heard is all about like you know I, I love you Jesus for all the things you do for me like for the comfort you right. give me for the and like of course Jesus does comfort us he does support us but that's not why we praise and worship him this is true. right there, there's something deeper there the song should be about God not about me you know very true very true so I I, I want to pivot a little bit here yeah, we're um, way off topic no that that that's great I do want to say one other thing about yeah, go the for it. um college i also it is very natural for a high schooler college student to challenge like that's part of growing up so i think Mm -hmm. we also see a lot of that reason there is that when they go to high school when they go to college they're gonna challenge what they grew up with right yeah and that's gonna be i mean like i I did yeah you know yeah so I, i think we also need to be careful not to be afraid of that Mm-hmm. I think there is this kind of sometimes when we're talking with people talking mm-hmm. oh people falling away from the faith there's this fear of kid going to college and questioning their faith and going and trying other like that's a normal part of development right kids out of the house for the first time they're gonna go challenge they're gonna go try things right they're gonna go challenge their faith they're gonna you know right I'm, they're certainly I mean, released from their parents you know right. auspices of course they're gonna explore and be confused and things like that that's normal that's okay right it, it's not okay to fall away though it's not okay to fall right. away i'm yeah. not saying that yeah but i'm saying that like if we try and restrict that too much and be like oh no you can't you know right. go out and push and you can't explore and you can't question which i think right. is what some people mm. end up doing is they say okay you can't question you can't you do that because then they're worried about that you know right yeah then it's just gonna make it worse i I think that there definitely is a a sentiment of that sometimes right and like that that's something that i obviously uh am not a fan of because like i was asking these kids like why do you even like i I was the one challenging their faith you know to to try to like find out what what deeper is there because like you have to dig into that uh otherwise like you're the uh you're the seed spread on on shallow soil right? right And yeah. then, like, it springs up and then withers away at the first sign of trouble, right? Right. And yeah. so I, all, my only point is you can't be afraid of them challenging. You right, You can't be yeah. afraid of them questioning. You have to right. be there with a response and support. Exactly. Yeah. We should encourage those questions, like, during middle and high exactly. school. <laughs> yes. When they they are still... Shouldn't be They the still have time. easy access to those answers, you this know? This is true. Yeah. Or, and on college campuses, I think... Being there and being present, right? And I yeah, think college ministry uh, is very important. Oh, it's absolutely pivotal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. So you were you were pivoting, <laughs> I assume, to our actual topic. No, like <laughs> there's no actual topic. Like I brought you on here because you are a, a scientist, and I wanted to discuss uh, abortion from a scientific perspective. Yeah. Uh, especially not too long ago, there was uh, Lila Rose was mm-hmm. on Dr. Phil. Did you see that video? I actually did not. I heard about it, but I haven't yeah. actually seen it. So she uh, she actually did uh, a, a phenomenal job because mm-hmm. it's Lila Rose. Of course she did. Sure. You know? And um, I think that th- there was one exchange, though, where Lila is basically pointing out the fact that, scientifically speaking, mm-hmm. life begins at conception. Yes. <laughs> right? And that there's no serious scientific debate on that point. And Dr. Phil... Was ninety five percent? I believe was the, the study I saw. It, it depends on the study. It's it ranges from between like uh, ninety three and ninety seven percent. But the, there have been a lot of surveys on this, right. and I, I think I, I was talking to you one time, and you you said that like the five percent or whatever that 
uh, didn't agree. Like, what what was their what was their You're situation? Get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> so, hey, Pope Francis says, "Don't be afraid to make a mess." Right? Fair. So, so the the gospel got Jesus in trouble. So, it, it should get us in trouble a little bit too. I I can look up the study in particular if you want to go that in depth. But the study I was looking at was like a ninety five percent overall. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, the guy who was doing the study got a lot of like emails, messages afterwards that are say, that you know from the pro choice scientists that were like, right. "Hey, I don't want you to use this to imply that I believe," you know. And right? Like, yeah. They they were like they assumed based off of the question that it was going to be a pro life, pro choice thing. Right? Which, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it, it yeah, kind of it, it is central to the central to the debate. The question. Yeah. So when you have that much pushback with people who say, yes, life begins at conception, but I don't want you to, you know, construe this as me saying this. I mean, let's be honest here. 5% being a, a certain portion of that, I'm sure, said no, specifically because they had that debate in mind, rather than reflecting on the actual scientific understanding of what life is right yeah i i think i remember you saying something along the lines of the scientists who said no basically just uh wrote in like you know uh that it's technically true but i don't like the question well that's what i was saying with people who responded yes was a a lot of them later um you know included an email to the guy that said yes life begins at conception but i don't like the question or something like so i'm saying that i assume that some portion of that five percent answered no because they didn't like the question (laughs) yeah probably probably so you know dr phil in responding to lila rose he he basically said that that there's no scientific consensus like flat out so some some scientists say that life begins at 20 weeks some say that life begins at the heartbeat that's straight up wrong i'm sorry (laughs) i I have no other statement other than that straight up wrong if you look at the scientific definition of life it begins at conception What, what is the scientific definition of life so the scientific definition of life there's um several different you know things that we use to assess so right um some form of movement response to stimuli um taking in energy uh eliminating waste um, eliminating waste? Yeah. Hmm. Growth and development. Uh, some way of dealing with waste. I see. Okay. I can look up the actual, you know, full list of <laughs> definition of life if you would like. Yeah, so I'm, I'm remembering this from, like, high school biology. Yeah, this I, is I, high school biology <laughs> stuff. Um, but it, it's like, uh, grow and develop, sur- uh, reproduce. Um, Capacity for reproduction is right, a very yeah. important distinction there right you know we don't say that like babies are not right alive simply because they are not yet capable of reproduction mm. or somebody who's sterile is not alive because they personally right. cannot reproduce. and so these right. are also yeah. you know mm. it's important to note that that definition is also for a over a developmental cycle i see and we need to be and, and again from a scientific perspective we're looking at an organism over its developmental cycle. We recognize mm-hmm. that organisms grow and develop. Right. You That's know, one of the one qualifications. Of the key, yes. Yeah, <laughs> key categories there. Yeah. So it's per- capacity for reproduction at some point. Mm-hmm. Just for the record. Uh, I've, see, I've seen people use some weird arguments before. Just <laughs> so. what, what kinds of stuff have you heard? Oh, well, so first there was the, oh, not fully developed, um, arguing that they don't meet all of the criteria for like response to stimuli for example um i mean that so uh yeah i i'm not a scientist so you, you can correct me if i'm wrong but like the uh the embryo it, it responds to stimuli when it uh basically when it knows to implant on the uterine oh 110 percent right? yeah. do, do you know how it how it actually detects like when it exits the fallopian tube Ooh, like, I, like, like I said, my expertise is not embryology. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest and upfront with that. Not my expertise in embryology. Right. So I don't know off the top of my head how it um, implants on the uterine wall. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I could look up if we want to go down that road. But, I, I mean, that's okay. I feel confident <laughs> in my ability to uh, look that up quickly and read through some scientific papers <laughs> on the fly. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know that off the top of my head. But it does... 
migrate down the fallopian tube and implant on the uterine wall, right, of yeah. course. I, I would have to imagine there's just something in, in the, like, the environment, maybe the, like a change in pH that the that the embryo picks up on. Or it Possible. could just be spouting chemical signaling. I, yeah, th- th- there's yeah. got to be something, though. There's signaling, right? yeah. uh, Otherwise, like, ectopic pregnancies would just happen all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is another topic we can definitely go down <laughs> that road in. Um, but yeah, from a, from a scientific definition, there is no other consistent line to draw from when a life begins. Because it's a... Com- and it's, it's an individual. And then that's... I should say that I think that that's the more important question is when does it become an individual? Hmm. Because at that point, at fertilization, you have a unique genetic code right. that is created and is an individual of the species. I see. And, and individual is like a scientific term. Right. Right? Okay. Yeah, it's for a single creature out of the species. So if you have a herd of elk one single elk is an individual okay of the population and, and you, you do research with like mice and each mouse is like you refer to it as a mouse individual right i mean yeah okay yeah you, you don't, we don't write, normally but... designate it as such because that's way too much time to write individual <laughs> three it, yes it... individual one no we just call it we generally so, call it m1 m1 okay <laughs> fair enough fair enough but yes it is an individual in the population yeah. so why why is the the key question uh individuality rather than so- something that's like you know like more philosophical like personhood because like well, what what i always say is that the question and this is this is my personal opinion but like the the question of abortion i think that like obviously the the science can tell us like that you know at the moment of conception we have a unique human individual living human individual right yes but it can't necessarily tell us uh, you know, I, I don't think science can tell us that it's wrong to murder, right? That, sure, that that's yeah. beyond the capacity of science. And so the the question of abortion is not so much a, a question of science. Like we we know the science, it, it can help us sort of inform our philosophy. But it's fundamentally a philosophical uh, and, and theological question, right? Well, it, yes, it can be theological, or it can just be you know, if we want to take it out of the realm of religion, which is fair. Religion should still inform, right, yeah. but. From right. It, in the words of, uh, uh, I might I might butcher this quote, but John Paul II said, uh, "Life certainly has a sacred and religious value, but by no means is that value a concern only of believers. Yes, the dignity of every human life is um, is something that everyone can grasp by the light of reason." Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I, I don't have the line memorized, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it's not it's not religious but like philosophy and theology are just inseparably intertwined in in my mind and for to have any sort of functioning societal moral code right you know we have to have some influence from morality which is a religious you know perspective in order to have any sort of functioning law Right. Yeah. To be a at, at the set end of, of morals we can at least bare minimum agree on, and not murdering people, <laughs> I think, is pretty foundational. Though. Fair enough. So the the question for me, I I think, as far as abortion, is you know to to sort of give people who are pro choice uh, as sort of as, as much rope as possible. Sure. You know. Um, I, okay, that's maybe not. You the know best the end of that expression, right? <laughs> okay. I, Probably not the best so yep, to, to give go. them as much leeway as possible to go. give them as much sort of credit and benefit of the doubt. I, I think that the question is not so much when does life begin because they, they lose that argument immediately. Right. Scientifically the, the, speaking. The question is at, at what point uh, does personhood begin? So at, at yep. what point does a person gain individual rights and which rights do they develop at different times? So I think that that is not an argument that people can make. Because I think as soon as you remove it from a an individual person is a person, an individual mm-hmm. of the human species is a person. As soon as you remove that, then you can justify anything. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you say that it's not a hard line that a human being is a person, like that should be a hard line, a human being is a person. Anything other than that, you can justify any atrocity you want. Like mm-hmm. there is... You've now detached it from the line. You can move it anywhere you want. There's no other consistent 
place you can draw a line that someone else isn't going to move it, you know? And sure, it might be fine for you where you draw the line, mm-hmm. but once you're drawing the line and not relying on the furthest possible extent of what is reasonable for defining people, like, you're entering right. a dangerous H- Humanity territory. has a very dicey history of deciding which people are, are, people. are people and which yeah. ones are not. Yeah. Very problematic. And yeah. again, and that's part of why I said that I think the, the fact that it's an individual is very important. Mm-hmm. Because we don't treat people as a collective, and it's not a part of a person. It's not a, it's not a clump of cells. It's not the same as like a tumor or that that you could say. So it's not the same as out. a tumor, but it, it is kind of a... It, if you really think about it, we're all just yeah, clumps of it's cells. A, it's a clump of <laughs> cells in the same way that you are a clump of cells in the same way that I am a clump of well, cells. Not not exactly, because we're just further along in our yeah. development, right? Yes. But like... The, but you the, are also the, a the clump fact, of cells. The fact that we are a clump of cells doesn't mean that, that they are not mutually exclusive categories between person and clump right. of cells. Right. right. Yeah. But it's not a clump of my cells that just happen to be in a right. It, exactly. Area. You know. Right. It's not like if I cut off a finger, the finger obviously doesn't have personhood, even if it's still you alive to keep for it a alive. Time. Yeah. Exactly. You know, through which we can do. I mean, that's an organ transplant, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so even if you do that, like. It, could still be meet the technical definition of living, but it's not individual. So okay. that's what I'm saying is that I think for personhood, the only line you can draw mm-hmm. that's a reasonable line is human, individual, living. Okay. So, the only line so, that makes so, any sense. Let, let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you to play devil's advocate a sure. little bit okay. here. So <laughs> what do you think is sort of the, the best pro-abortion argument, and where do you think it, it falls short? Oh, if you had to make a pro-choice argument, what what argument would you make? Well, there's a legalistic one mm-hmm. that, and this is absolutely horrifying, but is is an argument um, that has some actual legal ground is to say that well, it doesn't matter because a fetus is not born, therefore it does not meet the criteria for American citizen, therefore it is not entitled to protections right. under, under constitutional the, and American right, law. Right, like, that's yeah. an argument that's like has I, some weight. It's absolutely horrifying. Right. I mean like I but, I would I would actually agree with that argument on a constitutional basis. I I don't think that the unborn I, I think it's unfortunate that the unborn don't have the protections of the constitution because the constitution says born or naturalized. Right. And so it, it makes it very clear that like you got to be born in order for the constitution to apply to you. Right. I, I, I would fully most... support amending the constitution yeah. to protect human life from the moment of conception until natural death. So as far as like an argument, that's a right, strong yeah. argument, but from a very legalistic uh, finding a loophole in the lie or, or loophole in the law argument, but right. also doesn't cover the fact that in pretty much all laws in the country, it doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not; you can't be murdered. Um, right. So there, there's one. I guess another argument that I find uh, somewhat challenging. I can see where people are approaching it. Is arguing that almost from a self-defense-ish type perspective. Right, yeah. Of saying, like, well, um, even if it is a person, they're taking something from me, therefore I have a right to end that. Right, yeah. Is an argument that I've heard I, that is, I think I, I think that, that is that is actually my, my favorite pro-abortion argument. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I say that not because I'm, I'm pro-abortion or anything. No. Um but, I, I think everyone who knows you <laughs> and understands this podcast but, yeah, understands where you're coming. Fair enough. I, I do want to like make it clear, though. You fair know, enough. Fair enough. Um, the the argument that I always found uh, sort of most compelling from the uh, you, you know when I'm playing devil's advocate is basically saying that the the embryo has essentially taken up residence in, in his mother's uterus without her permission, and therefore she is uh, free at any time to revoke the embryo's rights to her, her uterus. And uh, in theory, you could impose a law requiring the uh, embryo to be, you know, put into, or the fetus at that point, to be put into, like, uh, an artificial womb once we get the technology or, like, into prenatal care if it's, uh, or or the NICU, rather, um, once it's, like, far enough developed. But 
basically the uh, the, the argument that the the fetus is, is illegally taken up residence where they don't have a natural right to be, which that they absolutely have a natural right That's to be there. That's where some of the argument falls apart, right there. Right, exactly. Um, but that basically it's it's sort of like just as you have a right to defend your property, you know, from anybody who would intrude upon it without right, you have a right to defend your body from somebody who is intruding upon it, even if they are fully human, you know? And what, what I, I think that one mistake that some, uh, pro-life apologists make when I, I sort of make that, uh, that devil's advocate argument is almost always they end up saying, well, if you uh, consent to, to to intercourse, then you are consenting to at least the possibility of uh, of pregnancy. I mean, that's not wrong. But... It, it's not wrong, but then where, where does the conversation immediately go after that? Sure. Well, what if the woman didn't consent? Right. You know, what if, what if it was a, a situation of force? And the fact of the matter is that, that our, our argument does not hinge upon consent, right? It, it's about the fundamental right of every human being to live right you know and so i think that making an argument that will inevitably steal you steer you off into uh steer you really away from the essential questions mm. is not a good argument to make especially when you end up in like a really emotional space because you need to be careful the, about the, the argument about well what, what if the woman didn't consent you know, it, it's not it's not rationally a super good argument, but it is an incredibly emotionally resonant one, mm-hmm. and so it's something that uh, a lot of people really struggle to respond to, at, without you know seem seeming uncaring or unfeeling. This you know, is true. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that you need to be able to pivot away from that because, as tragic and terrible as that is, right, it's not the main discussion. Right. Like I don't think that, I don't think it's wrong to talk about horrible cases of of rape in the context mm-hmm. of this, but we need to keep in mind that it's a very small percentage of what we're discussing. Following a very very small percentage of abortion cases. Sure. So if we're like, let me put it this way: if we made an exception for that one specific situation. We still wouldn't agree, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, you know, it still would. We would still be having this debate. Yeah. Well, so well, as as I think it's good to acknowledge, discuss, and have that conversation. But yeah, we need to focus well, on the main issue. Right. One one strategy that I've used in, in discussions like this is that like because pe- people love to bring up you know well well what if what if the woman didn't consent what about the cases of of rape and like I always start by saying like you know obviously like that that's a heinous crime yes. that, that causes severe damage that outlasts the you know everyone involved you know and but in that situation there are three people involved you have the victim the perpetrator and the child of the three of them who committed a heinous crime and perpetrator well, right the, the perpetrator so then why who should, should why should up for life yes I'm sorry, yes. like, we're way I, too late. Yeah, that, it, it's the one crime that makes me question my, my stance on the death penalty. Fair point. Uh, but uh, but I, I always say, so, you know, why is it that the child should die in that case? You know, and typically they'll pivot back to, well, th- it's not a child. It's not a baby. You know, they're, they're not a person. And so now we're back on, mm, on, the, main, on the main question. And so basically... If you say, hold on, there there are several people here, it would be horribly heinous to kill the victim to end her suffering. Why are we trying to kill another innocent party to try to reduce the suffering of the victim? Like, if anyone deserves to die, and I'm, I'm not saying that we should necessarily kill all rapists. Um, I, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but, like, if anybody deserves you to die in that situation... Kill anyone when we have the option of imprisoning them just saying i know it's there are it's a prudential matter there are we can go down that rabbit hole some other time yes but in in our current society we have the option i i i do agree anyway but i i I don't feel strongly enough about it to like 
really lose sleep over rapists I mean, being fair. executed. Like, okay, fine. I agree like, with I, you there. I, I would but... oppose it, but I wouldn't, like, it, it wouldn't be top of my mind if... Wouldn't sway if it, your vote in elections. Not really, no. <laughs> anyway, but we'll, we'll, we can circle back to that some other time <laughs> if we want. You, what were you saying? I, I do not remember. Well, okay. So, I guess if I'm playing devil's advocate, let's, <laughs> let's go in. Um, so, you were talking about bringing it back to it's a child, it's a... Right, you know, yeah. But that doesn't answer the original question that we started with, which is why does that not still constitute a uh, unwanted presence in a person's environment? You know, as you were saying, like, the, the baby has taken up residence in the uterus right. without consent. Well, why can they not remove it? So the the reason they, they cannot remove it is, like, one, the uh, the baby, even if the, the woman did not give permission, like, the, the baby does have a, a natural right to, uh, to live in the mother's womb mm-hmm. because that is its natural place, you know? And the uh, the other thing I would say is that even if the uh, the the embryo doesn't have uh, a natural right to its to its mm-hmm. mother's womb, then that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a an appropriate use of force to mm-hmm. to use lethal force in that case. Sure, you know, like if somebody trespasses on your property, it it is not necessarily okay to shoot them in the head. Un- unless they pose some like actual threat, right? And so, yeah, kid uh, playing on your lawn does not <laughs> exactly <laughs> like yeah. And so, you know, it, it is not acceptable to use excessive force. Mm. And so, I I would describe e- even conceding, which I would not concede, but if, even if I were to concede that the child doesn't have a right to his mother u- mother's uterus it would still stand to reason that one would use the minimum force necessary to uh, to resolve the situation, which would be then, you know, letting the baby grow and then just uh, performing a C-section or, um, Fair. or or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would also like to additionally add that there is a parental responsibility. Mm-hmm. We recognize that all the time in right. legal and social environment. That there is a responsibility, and yes, you can seed up for adoption, but you can't. You can't just, just leave your child in the middle of your living room and not take care of it. Right, you, that's child neglect. You, you can leave your child in at like a fire station, in, sure. in a lot of states. But that's been a specific carve out right. to allow someone to seed their parental responsibility in such a way. Right, you can't just leave it on the side of the road. Right, yeah. Exactly. Like, that that would be murder. <laughs> and we recognize that fact. Right, yeah. You know, exactly. And, and, you know, as different scales as it is, it does legally create a requirement for a parent to put in, to demand on their time, resources, physical nature, right, ability yeah. to take the child to a place where it can be taken care of. Right, yeah. And that is, and if that's the extent of the parental responsibility, then that's the bare minimum of the parental responsibility. Right. It, it's absolutely legitimate for the state to impose certain natural obligations on yeah. individuals. The, the idea that we can just go about doing whatever we want and we have, uh, and, and the state has no business interfering in enforcing certain uh, necessary responsibilities and obligations that we have as, as individuals and as members of a society is ridiculous the the government makes all sorts of such demands you right know? you know uh, speed limits <laughs> right for, yeah exactly you know, <laughs> that i mean what what's the old saying my my right to swing my arm stops at your face right I, I i can swing my fist until it lands on your nose right there, exactly when when to when someone's right to live you know and that comes in conflict with other rights we have to draw the line and yeah, and f- as much as I would love that not to be necessary, it clearly is necessary for us to actually draw that line. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All so right. I think there's that's also an important note. Yeah. 
Now, you, you and I could, could easily talk oh, for sure. hours, and indeed, we, we have done that on many occasions. This is just the first time that we've recorded and filmed it. Yeah, this is fair. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, who knows what will ha- <laughs> happen with that with your dozens of viewers, but... Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I'd love to have you uh, have you back on oh, sometime, sure. but, uh, but I think I know that you have to leave. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that the podcast is starting to drag on a little bit. Hi, people. <laughs> so, th- thank you so much, Brian, oh, for coming. Course, my friend. And to any uh, anybody who may be listening, you know, be sure to like and subscribe or do whatever uh, do whatever podcast things that people say. Yeah, do, I'm still do you new like to this. Subscribe on a podcast. I mean, this is going on YouTube too. Ah, fun. Yeah, I'm going going like YouTube, Spotify, Hello, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, YouTubians, y- YouTubians. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh... I mean. W- I was going to say YouTubers, but that's like the supply side. Yep. Yeah, I, I guess... This part's probably going to get cut out. Right? <laughs> Hi, people. Pro- probably not, you know. It's good to have some personality every once in a while, you know. Oh, yeah. Depends on whose personality you're talking about. That is about. an excellent point. I, I, I have been... Small doses of you, my friend. Small doses. <laughs> I, my, my sister, my older sister, once said that I have a tendency to overwhelm people with my Davideness. Oh, she has. Your, your sister is quite intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all, all my family are geniuses. My parents both went to MIT, and like my older sisters are engineers. P- people don't believe me when I say I'm the dumb one of my family. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. <laughs> I could be more mean to you, but I don't have the heart for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, You're thank you guys. Anyway, thank, thank you guys so much for joining us for this thank conversation, and uh, I will see you around wanna... next week. I guess. Sorry. Oh. Is that is, you want to close in a prayer or something? Or huh? I, I wasn't planning on okay, it. Would, cool. would you like to close in a prayer, Brian? I mean, I just figured it would be a nice natural end to doctrine. <laughs> what is it? Doctrine, dogma, and Davide? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right, Brian, lead us in a prayer. In the Father, in the Father, and the Son, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a good night.